I think all of us in this room would admit that there have been times in our life where someone has given us a warning or giving us uh, a, a word of advice that we didn't pay any attention to. I think it's part of our human nature, our, our sinful nature that we struggle with, that when someone tells us, don't do this or, or don't do that, that our first reaction is to want to do it. Somebody says, uh, you know, you can watch kids. It's amazing to kids. I think kids are the perfect example of our sinful nature um, because they, you look at a child that's four or five and you tell them, do not touch that you can see the wheels moving in their head as they begin to think, I'm, I'm going to touch it. I want to touch it now. And before any of you start trying to be spiritual and think, you know, that I would never do that. Some of you are going to leave here and go to a restaurant and a waiter's going to put a plate in front of you and go, don't touch it, it's hot. And you're going to go, I don't know about hot, right? <laughs> because we all have that desire inside of us, that want inside of us to, to push the limits, to, to not necessarily believe when somebody gives us a warning. I can remember as a kid that, you know, your parents tell you don't play ball in the house. Has any of your parents ever told you that? Don't play ball in the house. It seems like it is a guaranteed fact that you can play ball when your parents are in the house six or seven hours and you'll never hit anything. The moment they walk out the door and you begin to play ball, you're going to break something, right? How many of you ever tried to glue something back together to trick your parents into thinking it didn't get broken? When my mom passed away and I received a bunch of her uh, collectibles, I got a Hummel item that my brothers and they all wanted, and I got it. And, and the reason they decided I got to keep it was because there's a little fracture around the neck that I broke throwing the ball one day, and I glued back together, and they never knew. So I got away with it. But all of us do that. It's just part of our nature. We, we take our warnings with a grain of salt and push the limits whenever we can get. Same thing's true with advice. I wonder how many of us wish we could go back to our younger selves and listen to the advice that somebody gave us. I remember when I was in my first church and one of the church members came up and, and said, Rusty, I just want to share this with you. Probably some of the greatest advice I ever got. I want to pass it on to you. He was a financial planner. He said, the greatest thing you can do for your family and for your future is begin to take 10% of your salary and put it back into retirement before you get 25. He said, if you will do that, by the time you're 55, you will be able to retire. Well, I can tell you I'm 52 and I'm not anywhere close to retiring because I didn't listen to him. I can remember when our kids were little and every parent that has this when their kids are little, somebody inevitably will come up to you and say, you need to treasure the moments that you have when they're little because time's going to go by so fast. And I can remember thinking when people would say that, no, I am not treasuring this time when I am elbow deep in dirty diapers and not getting any sleep at night and fighting over daycare and worried how I'm going to get everybody to church on time. I'm not treasuring that. But before you blink, you look back and your kids, your children, your teens, they're adults. And you wonder, where did the time go? All of us push the limits. And as we talk about this morning, the, the real Christmas story, the real idea of what Christmas means, there are warnings in the Christmas story. Now we've been looking at what I said was, was 
the Christmas story movie and using it as a lens to be able to see some truths that come out of the nativity, that come out of the original Christmas story. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, the triple dog dare, which was the coup de grace of all dares. And we looked at the idea that Jesus' birth didn't happen by accident. It was planned. It was planned from the foundations of the world. And that God had always had a plan to redeem man. And in the perfect time, He sent His Son to be born of a virgin. Last week we looked at the old man, Ralphie's dad in the story. As we looked at him, we talked about Fragile, talked about the leg lamp. And and as we looked at that, we we talked about how Ralphie's dad was somewhat like Jesus' dad, his earthly father, Joseph. And we looked at some of the characteristics of Joseph. And we talked about how you and I can deal with situations and circumstances that are beyond our control. When our best laid plans fall apart, how can we handle those things? And this morning, as we end this series, we are going to look at probably what is the main plot of the movie, A Christmas Story. It's something that ripples, there's so many scenes and so many great subplots, but the main plot that ripples from the beginning to the end is Ralphie. And this is Ralphie, for those of you that hadn't seen Christmas Story. That's him wearing his wonderful Christmas present from his aunt on Christmas morning and excited to do so. Uh, But throughout the whole movie, Ralphie is in pursuit of what he calls the Red Rider Carbine Action 200-shot range model air rifle, otherwise known as the Red Rider BB gun. Now, for those of you that grew up in the South, you probably remember that receiving your first gun, BB gun for most of us, was kind of a a, a turning point. It kind of was a a move to turn into an adult, or you felt more like an adult when you got that first gun. And Ralphie feels the same way. He can't wait. And all throughout the movie, he is telling everybody he can that I can't wait because I want a Red Rider BB gun. But the problem for Ralphie is every time that he expresses what he wants, he gets a warning back from every person he talks to. You know what that warning was? You'll shoot your eye out. And he doesn't just hear it from from his parents. He hears it from his teacher. He hears it from Santa Claus. In the scene where he tells Santa, that's what I want. Santa says, you'll shoot your eye out. Then Santa's elf chimes in as well. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. His teacher gets his note for Christmas talking about what you want for Christmas. And at the bottom, she stamps in big letters, you'll shoot your eye out. Even his closest friends tell him, you'll shoot your eye out. It's a warning. It's a hint of advice. Many of us don't realize that the Bible is full of the same kind of warnings. We may not call them warnings. matter of fact, in the Old Testament, we call them prophecies. But their warning's just the same. You see, a prophecy is someone telling you what is going to happen to warn you to be on the lookout. And there are so many prophecies in the Bible that point to the birth of Jesus Christ. Many people don't realize that the very first prophecy that we have that foretold what Jesus Christ would come to earth to do is found in the very first book of the Bible. You see, even in the Garden of Eden, God begins to reveal His plan to redeem man. Listen to what's written in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. For I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking about Eve, and between your offspring, he's talking to the servant. This is after they're caught in sin, he's talking to the serpent. Between your offspring, what's the offspring of the serpent? Sin. 
The creation that comes as he introduces free will and, and Adam and Eve choose to sin and that sin nature becomes a characteristic of our lives. He said, I'm going to put enmity, put danger between your offspring and the woman's offspring. And his offspring, her offspring, will crush your head and it will bruise, you will bruise his heel. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. What was he saying in the garden? He was saying even then, there is going to come a time where your offspring sin and that woman's offspring, that line that follows through Eve goes all the way to Jesus Christ where one day you too will battle and in that battle you will bruise his heel. You may hurt him a little, but he is going to crush your head, that he is going to defeat sin once and for all. So even there in the Garden of Eden, the very first picture that we have, we have an incredible prophecy saying what Jesus was going to be sent to do. I hope you realize that there are over 300 prophecies, warnings in the Old Testament that point to Jesus Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection. 300 prophecies that He fulfilled. There is not a prophecy in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah that Jesus Christ doesn't fulfill. There are over 80 prophecies alone that just deal with His birth. 80 prophecies. Now, I I know you and I, we look at things from, from where we are going backwards, but you don't understand the chance probability of one person fulfilling 80 prophecies. Charles Ryrie, the theologian, said that according to the laws of chance and probability, it would require 200 billion earths, each populated by 4 billion people, to come up with one person whose life would fulfill 100 accurate prophecies without any error in sequence. Now, those are big numbers, and so it's tough for us to grasp. 200 billion earths, each one with over 4 billion people, to find one person who would fulfill 100 prophecies. Jesus Christ fulfilled over 300 Peter Stoner in his book Science Speaks saying applying the modern law of probabilities to just eight prophecies about Jesus' birth. Eight prophecies. He says the chance that any one man might fulfill eight prophecies is one in ten to the seventeenth. That's a ten with seventeen up in the corner. That is a one with seventeen zeros. That is one one hundred quadrillion. Think about that. Now again, that's a huge number. So what Stoner says, he says, let me get it to you a different way. If you were to take 100 quadrillion silver dollars, silver dollars, American silver dollars, and you were to place them in the state of Texas, they would fill the entire state of Texas two feet deep. One 100 quadrillion, I mean, I can't even say it. Just imagine filling the whole state. And Texas is a big state. Two feet all the way across. And the chances of one person fulfilling eight prophecies is the same as if you got in an airplane flying over the state of Texas and you got a silver dollar and marked an X on it and you threw it all at random anywhere over the state of Texas and then you went and got somebody, blindfolded them, and told them they could go anywhere they want, as far as they want, but they've got to find that silver dollar. Think about those chances. Do you think that it's a coincidence that Jesus was born when He was? Do you think it is a coincidence that the things came together the way they did? From the very beginning, God had a plan. And Jesus Christ fulfilled every prophecy. Not just eight, not just eighty, three hundred. Well, why is that important to us? Well, let me give you a couple just to help you understand. 
Micah 5.2, which Micah came after Jonah, one of the early prophets, he predicts where Jesus is going to be born. Listen, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, although you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. Here's Micah 800 years before the birth of Jesus Christ saying the one who is going to be the ruler of all man, who is going to rule forever, everlasting, means from beginning to end without an ending. He is saying this ruler that is coming that will rule from all time to all time's end is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now if you were going to predict where somebody was going to be born, Bethlehem would be way, way, way down on your list. Bethlehem is a, a, a small little shepherd town that no one had ever heard of. I mean tiny. It doesn't even have a stoplight. It doesn't even have a dollar general. It is little bitty. You just blow through Bethlehem and don't even know that it's there. If you were going to predict where the king of kings was going to be born, why not pick a town that had 6 million or 15 million or some place where you would have a better chance? But that's not what the Lord prophesied through Micah. He said he is going to be born in this small, tiny, insignificant, out-of-the-way town. It'd be like saying the next president of the United States is going to come from Blowing Rock. Why would you pick it? The chances are small because it's not just a random pick. It is a prophecy that the Lord is going to fulfill. Now everyone in this room's heard of Bethlehem because 2,000 years we've been singing about it and talking about it. But in Micah's day, in, in Jesus' day, it was unheard of. Matter of fact, the reason it was so unheard of is that when Micah prophesies, that's why he says, Bethlehem Ephratheth. You know what that means? Bethlehem close to Jerusalem. He was saying, listen, I want you to understand, he is going to be born in this little town, and you don't know where it is, so it's near Jerusalem. It's like when people ask me where I'm from. They say, where are you from? You say, Blowing Rock. What do they say? What? Where? I'm from Texas, and so when people back home, where do you live? I live in Blowing Rock. They don't know. So you know what I say? I live in Blowing Rock, which is near Boone. Right? See what Micah is saying? He is saying the king that is coming, the one who will live forever and rule forever, is going to be born in Bethlehem. You know, the little bitty town that's near Jerusalem. Now think about how they got to Bethlehem. Because a week before Jesus was born, they weren't in Bethlehem. They were in Nazareth. And Nazareth is 80 miles to Bethlehem. But in the week before Jesus is born, Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the Roman Empire, issues a decree saying that every person should go back to the land of their home, where their tribe, where their region is started, and that they should take a census. They're going to take a census of people. Do you think it is an accident that the week before Jesus Christ is born, Herod and Caesar Augustus issue a census? It's not an accident. Providence of God, because it set up the idea that they took a four-day journey to get to the place that Micah had prophesied the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would be born at. Accident? Let me give you one more. Isaiah chapter seven fourteen, and we talked a little bit about it last week. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. God is going to give you a sign when the Messiah is coming. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. What's the sign that you'll know that the Messiah is here, the one who we've been reading about, the one who we've been prophesying about? He will be born of a virgin. 
And his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now we read last week in Matthew 1, the angel of the Lord told Joseph, She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all that was done might be fulfilled, which was spoken to the Lord through the prophets. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah seven fourteen. It's not an accident that Mary was a virgin. We read over and over in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew 1.18. She was pregnant before they came together. Matthew 1.25. He knew her not. Matthew 1.18. The child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not of man. Mary was a virgin giving birth to a child. Impossible. But yet it had been prophesied 800 years before when Isaiah wrote about it. Emmanuel. God with us. Let me give you one more. From Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. You've heard this, especially leading up to Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. For he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time from when he was born and on forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty God will accomplish that. 800 years before Jesus' birth, what does He say about Him? Have you ever thought about those names that we sing so quickly? He says He will be wonderful counselor. What does a counselor do? A counselor gives instructions. That word wonder there in the Hebrew means miraculous. What is He saying by saying wonderful counselor? He will be a miraculous instruction giver. He will be a miraculous person that will come and help you apply God's Word to your own life. Does that sound like Jesus Christ? It said He will be mighty God. That was God Himself. He is not just the Son of God. He is God Himself. He will be everlasting Father. The idea in the Hebrew, Father, means someone who gives life. He will be the one to give everlasting life. He will be a mighty counselor, instructions. He will be God Himself. He will be the one that gives you life eternal. And then He will be the Prince of Peace. What does the Prince of Peace do? The Prince of Peace is the one who will usher in peace between God and man. The whole reason that God had this plan, the whole reason that He sent His Son to be born of a virgin, to live the perfect life, to die on the cross and be resurrected, is so that you and I might experience the peace that God intended in the Garden of Eden. Jesus Christ came to reconcile you and I who had been separated from Him for, for, because of our sin. He wanted to redeem us so that we might be in a right relationship to Him, so that we might have peace with God, but not just peace with God, peace in our own hearts. So do you think it was an accident? Just three prophecies that I've given you. Does that sound like Jesus Christ? Does that sound like the one that we sing about, the one that we talk about? That's just three of 80. I didn't even talk about Jeremiah 31, 15, where it talks about the sorrow of mothers in Bethlehem who will weep and cry because their children had been killed. What happens right after the birth of Jesus? Herod orders the death of all male children under the ages of 24 months. I didn't talk about Hosea 11.1 who talks about the child having to flee to Egypt. What happens when Herod begins to kill the babies? Joseph and Mary and Jesus flee to Egypt for three years. Or Genesis 49.10 who says of the Messiah, He will be from the tribe of Judah. Isaiah 11.10, He will come from the line of David, from the line of Jesse. All of these warnings, all of these prophecies... 
given for over a thousand years and two thousand years and at least 800 years, something that they had been reading and hearing about. And yet when Jesus comes in flesh, when the Messiah shows up and He fulfills all of these prophecies, most of the people missed it. Most of the people didn't even recognize it. I want you to think about this. For most in the Jewish faith, from the time that they had been exiled to the time of Jesus Christ, the most prominent readings that they had were discussing the Messiah. The Messiah all of a sudden gets introduced as a main character who is going to redeem the nation of Israel, who is going to save them, who is going to be their king, who is going to be their leader. And they had all of these prophecies, 800 of them, describing what he was going to be like, 80 describing how he was going to be born, where he was going to be born, what was going to happen. And yet when it happened, they missed it. The very people who should have been ready, who should have been watching, who should have been listening, they missed it. And that's not something that just happened 2,000 years ago. It happened last week. There were thousands of people around this globe celebrating Christmas and celebrating presents and Santa Claus and family and friends and decorations and good food and holiday and vacations. And they missed the most important thing that Christmas means. Think about that prophecy. Missed warnings. Unheeded advice. Missed truth that was right in front of their face. Ralphie does the same thing. Over and over again. You'll shoot your eye out. You'll shoot your eye out. Christmas morning, Ralphie, wearing his rabbit pajamas made by his aunt, opens all of his presents and There's nothing there. His dad asked, did you have a good Christmas? Did you get everything that you wanted? He says, yeah, I had a good Christmas. And the old man, the dad, who had been gruff throughout the whole movie, looks and says, I think there's one more present over there behind the tree. Ralphie runs over and tears it open. And even to the surprise of Ralphie's mom, there it is, the Red Ryder BB gun. He's so excited, he grabs it up and he begins to pour the BBs. You remember what that was like, pouring BBs in that little hole? He pours the BBs in there carefully. And he's so excited. He says, can I go outside? Can I go shoot it? Can I go shoot it? With one more warning, his mom says, be careful, you'll shoot your eye out. Ralphie runs out the back door on a snowy morning, imagining himself in a western scene with bank robbers, and he's the one there to rescue with his Red Rider BB gun, and he picks it up and he shoots it, and that one little BB goes out. You can see them. You remember when you used to could see them? Kind of flutter, and it went out, and it hit a piece of metal. And you know from those Red Rider BB guns, when you hit a piece of metal, you're in trouble. Because it began to ricochet and ricochet, and it came back and hit his glasses square in the eye, broke his glasses. See, the prophecies were fulfilled. The advice not taken. And the same thing is true of us today. Many of us in this room, while we sing about Christmas and we talk about Jesus and talk about what He means and talk about the things that He's brought to us, we look at these banners and we sing about love and hope and peace and joy, but yet those aren't evident in our lives. Those things are not seen. We're not experiencing them. Why? Because we haven't heeded the warning. We haven't paid attention to the prophecy. 
We've missed the message of Christmas, and that is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's not a good teacher. He's not just a great man. He's not an example for us to follow. He is the Messiah, the promised and prophesied Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God's personal gift to you and I this Christmas. And we understand that the baby Jesus grew up, lived the perfect life, taught how you and I might have a relationship to God, then gave His own life so that we might be free from sin, crucified on a cross, resurrected on the third day, so that you and I might understand that death has been defeated. And Jesus Himself says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Me. This morning, all of those warnings are still true. He offers you hope. He offers you peace. He offers you salvation. But there's another truth about these prophecies that I want to close with. For you and I that are Christians, these prophecies, these things that we take sacred, help us to understand that God always does what He said He's going to do. That this book is not just something to hold the papers down on our shelf or to find a place in the back seat. This book is God's love letter to you and these promises in this book. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will never be alone. Your grace is sufficient. You've been forgiven. All of those promises are true because if those 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ have been fulfilled, then every word He says, He will do. And that brings us to the dangerous part. Because if God took seriously all of those prophecies about Jesus' first arrival, He takes seriously the prophecies about His second. I read to you a moment ago in the Olivet Discourse that Jesus said, I will come back. And when I do, it will be as if a thief in the night. You won't know when it happens. Jesus Himself said, I don't even know. So all these people that want to tell you it's going to happen when this and this and this and this happen, we don't know. Because you and I aren't in the planning party. We're in the invitation party. We're not to get so wrapped up into the hows and the winds. We're to get wrapped up in the who. And He will return. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. For brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Talking about those who pass away. But to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to God's own word, to Jesus' own word, we tell you that He is coming for those who are His children. And all who are left will coming with the Lord will rise to meet Him in the sky. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with Him in the clouds. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. That also means take heed. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we don't need to write about that. For you know very well all that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While some people will be saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As a labor pain on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness 
so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like the others who are asleep, for let us be alert and self-controlled. You see, what I want you to understand is that while Jesus fulfilled every prophecy ever written about Him, there are those yet to be fulfilled about the future. And if we believe that those 300 prophecies all point to Jesus, then we have to believe the words of Paul and the words of Jesus Himself that say there is coming a day when Jesus will return. We don't know when, but we know it's true. And even if that day tarries, you and I will stand before Him. You and I will face Him. And the question for us then is the same as it is this morning. How serious do we take this prophecy? How much of this do we believe? Are we willing to heed the warning? Are we willing to heed His advice? Or will we be like those people the first time who missed it? Even more pointed question is, what will you do about it? What have you done about it? Are you ready? Are you ready if He came today? Are you ready if He came tomorrow? Have you lived the life that God's called you to live? Have you prepared your heart? Have you told those around you of His salvation? Because I believe that God is true. And the consequences of not heeding God's Word and God's warning are much more serious than shooting your eye out. They're life or death with eternity in our hand. Let's pray.